Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, as uh, I think you know by now. Uh, I've got a r- great show for you, uh, Masters Thursday. We're on the cusp of the Masters Tournament, and I know everybody's excited and been watching uh, uh, today's uh, events and gearing up for an exciting, hopefully a very exciting, uh, Masters. And a uh, quick note, obviously, Tiger is going to be playing uh, in the Masters, and everybody's excited to see him back, so we're looking forward to... Whatever happens, uh, certainly an exciting event, uh, not only for him, but also for the rest of us. So we'll keep an eye out and see how things go. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be joined here uh, in just a moment by a couple of the guys uh, on this week's Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on the show, uh, I'm really, really excited about tonight's uh, broadcast. Uh, I'm going to be joined by two very special guests. I'm sure some of you, especially in the golf industry, have been hearing about the upcoming movie, The Mulligan. Uh, that's coming to theaters, actually, uh, select theaters, April, 9th, uh, April 18th and 19th. I'm going to be joined by one of the stars, uh, Pat Boone, and also the producer, Rick Eldridge, are going to be joining me a little bit later on in the broadcast to talk about uh, that upcoming movie and uh, all the ins and outs and a little bit, uh, maybe share a few nuggets, if you will, with the audience. So I hope you'll tune in for that. They'll be joining me on the second hour of the program. All right, but let me uh, bring out uh, the first uh, guest on the show, and that's part of the Coach's Corner panel Uh, First up is Pete Buchanan. He's uh, been teaching golf now for over 30-plus years. Uh, He's the founder and director of instruction uh, for Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace, uh, helping golfers focus on building a repeatable swing. Uh, Also on the panel tonight is James Kyle. He's a PGA professional and coach at East Woodlands Lake Country Club. Uh, 30 years ago, he began his journey as a professional golfer and coach, Uh, The incredible experiences James has had while improving his own swing, uh, fitness training, traveling, competing on mini tours, and two PGA Tour qualifying schools elevated his ability to provide incredible lessons for his clients. So, guys, welcome to this evening's Coach's Corner panel. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. It's good to be here. All right. I appreciate it, guys, as always, giving of your time. I know it's not always easy to uh, zip from the course and and get out uh, here in time to do this show, so I really appreciate, as always, uh, you giving of your time. All right, I'm going to talk to you uh, uh, because it's uh, beginning of the season. I know, Kyle, you're uh, down in Florida, so it's a little bit of a longer season uh, probably than it is for uh, for Pete, who's up in the uh, the Midwest section of, of the country. Um, so you are probably have done this a little bit uh, earlier than he would, but um, 
Uh, I want to talk about, because it is a, a new season for a lot of golfers, they're just sort of coming out of the winter thaw, if you will, up in the northeast and the central part and, and western part of the United States. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, and Pete, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you, um, and I'm going to ask this both of you, but what are some things, uh, I, I've got maybe three to five things that uh, you might look for with a new student in, when doing an assessment. So when you, Pete, when you've got a new student coming in, what are some of the things that you look for uh, when doing a set, an assessment? Well, that's a great question. You know, the, one of the first things I like to ask them is, is, you know, what other sports they have played, get a background on what kind of things they've done in the past, um, get a, a, an idea of, you know, just from if they have any physical limitations at all, um, if there's been any injuries in the past, if there's anything that they, they you know, have to guard against, um, you know, what's their desire, uh, how much are they going to practice, what do they want to get out of the game, what are their expectations, um, how much are they going to practice. Um, and, you know, and, and I think also, you know, overall, you know, what are they looking to do with the game? And then from that point, you know, just start to look at um, – you know, giving them an idea of, of just some, some simple things of what the, the game is all about uh, and get them an understanding of what we're going to try to do. Um, but I think most importantly is just trying to get a background on, you know, where they are, what they've done, um, what they want to do, and, you know, with the game, where they want to go so we can sort of formulate a plan and a time frame to, to bring them to, to what they want to get out of the game. Yeah, well said. Um, I think there's a lot of important uh, questions, James, that we want to ask new students particularly, uh, especially if we've never worked with them before, and, and maybe uh, even more so if they've uh, never played the game before. Uh, there's a lot of different things. I'm sure uh, you have a lot of similar points that, that Pete um, has covered already, but I want to get your perspective. As you uh, get new students coming out to, to visit you uh, uh, there in Florida, what are some of the things that you're looking at? What are some of the early discussions as you're assessing where they are and and maybe where they want to be. Yeah, I have to admit, Pete hit it right on the on the nail there. Uh, for me, I ask the exact same questions about their background uh, with sports, especially so many golfers. If they have played other sports, and for me, in my opinion, you know, like baseball, uh, before they ever played golf, you know, there's some things kind of built in to the movement of their body uh, that is could be both positive and negative for the golf swing. But, uh, you know, one of the things I always look at, too, uh, is what their equipment is, you know, what type of equipment they have, uh, if it's newer or older. And, uh, you know, as he pointed out as well, you know, how much time do they have? When are they really available? Uh, you know, because so many new golfers now, especially since COVID, I think we're all a lot busier. We have a lot of new golfers coming mm -hmm. and looking for help. And like you said, you know, so many of them are beginners. And I find uh, lots of golfers right now are working from home. So they're, they're actually more available during the week at, at times when a few years ago they would have never made it out of the office. They, you know, you were trying so hard to get them in on the weekend. But uh, for me, yeah, he hit it already. Uh, physical limitations what sports they've played in the past. Uh, I even always ask, you know, what they do for work because it's interesting, mm -hmm. you know, the doctors or the, or the CPAs and the salespeople, you know, they all have a kind of a different way of looking at 
analyzing and learning. So I always key on that as well. Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, some great points. And, 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 you know, I think it's important to really isolate to find out where they're at, um, whether, again, whether they're a brand-new golfer or whether they've been playing for a few years. We want to find out exactly where they're at. And the only way to do that is an assessment and having a conversation with them. And I think it's important... Um, and, I, and I think it's important to do that throughout the year as well, if you're, especially if you've got a student that you're maybe going to be working with for um, the season. Uh, I think it's important to uh, sort of reevaluate as you go. I don't think it's just a matter of, well, let's just assess you at the beginning of the year and then we'll just uh, you know, follow through from there. I think it's important to find out where they're at at various points throughout the process. Um, Pete, I'm going to come back to you, and, and this is sort of a follow-up question, if you will. So once you've isolated some areas that might need improvement, um, whatever they might be, whether it's physical uh, limitations or what have you, what's your game plan moving forward? What is it you like to do to get the ball rolling? Well, it really depends on where they're coming from. If, if, they're, if they're brand new and they haven't done anything before, it's just now beginning to build a setup, uh, get them to understand, you know, grip, you know, how to aim the club, how to put the club on the ground, where they stand how to get into a correct posture. So if it's a beginner, you have to build an address position to get them started. If they've played a little bit, I'm going to look into some cause and effect. I'm going to, I'm going to have them hit some. I'm going to look at the, you know, what's going on, uh, why they hit the shots they hit, and then get them to understand you know, really what I always call the virus, you know, what's, what's causing the issues, and let's get to that root cause, and let's build a game plan to tackle that root cause so that we can start to get some improvement. Uh, right away and then it's really working you know uh, if there's one thing I learned in in doing golf schools for a long time you know depending on what the swing looks like you you sort of have to you know there's some swings where you have to tackle one area before you can take another one and so you have to go in 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 uh, pieces you can't always go you know the whole thing right away because you know, you, there's just certain swings where, you know, you have to atta- attack the backswing before you can ever go to the downswing um, just because of where they're coming from. So I try to do my own assessment of looking at, at their level, first of all. If they've played before, let them hit some shots, see what they're doing, uh, look at the cause, and then explain to them, you know, why they do what they do, and then sort of get them to understand how we're going to build a process to tackle those causes and then root out what's going on with the, the effects of what's happening to the ball flight. But also, too, to get them mm-hmm. to understand when they see the shots that they see, they can understand why they hit those, but most importantly, how to tackle fixing that so that when I'm not standing behind them, they have an idea of what to do. I don't want to leave them hanging. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't do any good. I want them to be able to understand you know, what they have to do to, to help themselves along the way. Yeah, I think that's important. You're, you're exactly right. And, and James, you know, we, we always hear about, uh, you know, improvement drills, things to help them, uh, to help them understand different processes throughout the golf swing. Uh, is that something that you encourage uh, often in your teaching, uh, especially once you, you know, whether it's a new student or whether it's somebody you've been working with for a while, is that something once you've assessed and you've isolated and put together a game plan for you, is that something you like to incorporate a lot? Uh, maybe give us an example of some uh, drills. I know you can't physically show them here on the show, but maybe give you an idea uh, of what you like to uh, isolate, uh, particularly maybe with a new student. Yeah, I love drills, and uh, we know that you know the golf swing 
from when you take it away to impact is roughly one second. So when somebody's working on something to improve something that's not going so well, you know, the only way to really fix it is to do drills. And some of those drills, one of my favorites is uh, I use a lot is the stop at the top drill because, you know, the downswing is probably roughly a quarter of a second. So I use the stop at the top a lot. So the player has, you know, sometimes three seconds, five seconds to really get a feel, especially if they're working on their downswing to get the club more under, you know, as most golfers are swinging to the ball more over, right? So right. stopping at the top, that's probably my number one. And another one that I do a lot where the player, you know, they make a swing, a full backswing, and then I make them come all the way down to where the club is in line with like an alignment stick on the ground that's laying on their toes. And they basically have the club parallel to the ground. So it is, you know, your hands are right by your right knee. And I actually practice hitting a lot of shots from that spot. It's one of my favorite drills that I've posted on my Instagram. And uh, it just really helps a player to get the hands and the arms and the body down in a great position before impact. And, right. uh, and they actually learn to hit the, hit the shot as far as they can and finish their swing from that moment, you know, generating as, as mm-hmm. much speed as they can. Yeah, and, and alignment for, sticks. I, I use alignment I, sticks a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I and I think saying, it's important to really isolate. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I think it's yeah, really ahead. important to to be able to isolate um, different areas like that. And and that as a drill, I think is obviously very very effective because you know it gives them a sense of okay, I'm 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 locked into the right position here, and now I've got to continue on. I've got to follow through. And see, a lot of times, uh, what I like about that particular drill is we often see, especially amateur golfers, especially new golfers, where they get up to the top and they get into that transition, and then as they get into impact, they just kind of stop. So that I, I like that drill because it actually forces them really to follow through. And that, I Correct. think, is a, is a great, uh, right? Um, so, Pete, I want to come back to you. Um, and again, you can use whatever scenario if you want to do a new, a brand new student or somebody that's been maybe uh, with you for a little while. But if your student has incorporated some bad habits, which they all do, do you particularly isolate them and try to correct those areas, or do you start from the beginning? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it it would depend on, I think, more than anything else, especially where, where I'm at now. I actually have an indoor studio where I can do some work through the winter. So if I have somebody who wants to take the time through the winter to, to really do some changes, then I, I would start, you know, basically rebuilding um, because I have the time and, and they're not playing that much through the winter time. But, you know, the other way I'd have to look at, you know, as James said, I mean, drills are, are really, really cool to, to use to change those you know, bad habits. And so you can use a lot of drill work um, to really, to, to, to make a lot of changes. I mean, I have, it's a perfect situation here. We have a pin that's about 40 yards out in front of the studio and I have them do a lot of 40 yard pitch shots because that motion that they make um, really helps sync up how the body and the arms and the club are going to work together. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'll do uh, some shots where I'll take them. I said, look, we're going to spend about 15 minutes hitting 40 yard pitch shots. And I'll have them do that. And then I'll hand them a six iron. I'll say, all right, take a couple of practice wins and then hit one. 
and inevitably they they really you know hit the first one really solid and like wow that's crazy and I said well that's why those short shots are so important so they start to see the emphasis of you know pitching is not just because you're going to have those shots when you play pitching has a as a way of helping you sync up what's going on with the golf swing to really help you understand the impact feel at a slower pace. And at that slower pace, mm-hmm. they can feel more of what's going on. So I use that quite a bit uh, on all of my, my folks because it's just a lot of times you have to slow them down. I mean, they'll go a million miles an hour <laughs> if you let them. But you have to slow them down so they can get an understanding of what it feels like to actually make those movements. And I think it just makes them better overall because they learn a better pace and they learn more control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they really have to get control of that club face because, you know, in the end, that's going to that's gonna influence everything else. So I think by using some short pitch drills, they can really work to get that club face, you know, more in line and more under control. Right, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it, you know, it really it, it, it revolves around the, the short game. I think, you know, obviously, as we all know, um, is where you're scoring, um, whether it be on the putting surface or whether it be, um, you know, they always talk about 100 yards in, but really I think it's less than that because that's where a lot of people, most people, you know, 100-plus yards out, they can hit a pretty decent shot. They can land on or somewhere near the green. Um, but where it falls short is when they start getting that 20, 30, 40 yards, even 50 yards out. That's when a lot of them fall into, I think, uh, a lot of difficulty. Um, James, I want to come back a little bit about drills because it was sort of a follow-up I wanted to do with that. Um, and I'm going to give it to you since since we already talked about that. You know, you, you talked about you like to work with, you really love working with uh, using drills and things like that, but how often uh, not only should they be practicing these drills, and I mean, I know in a perfect world we'd like to be doing something every day, but um, realistically to, to notice uh, some change, and how often do we want to introduce new drills? So like, do, we don't want to overwhelm them. We've got them working on one drill maybe between this lesson and the next lesson, um, how much is too much, and um, from the pro's <coughs> perspective, how much can we overload with too many different drills that confuse them, and um, how often would you recommend to see some noticeable results for people to practice? How much time should they be practicing on the drills? Um, should it be daily? Should it be weekly? A couple of times? Give us an idea of what you have found to be successful with your students. Boy, that's... That's a great question because, as we know, you know, most golfers, even when they have an intention of practicing two to, two to three times before their next lesson, you know, most of them never, rarely ever get that many. Right. Maybe they get once. Uh, <clears throat> for me, obviously, if somebody's really working on, like, getting the shaft and the, and the swing, especially on the downswing in a good place, and if, and if their swing was in a very poor place at the beginning, I, I have some players that are still working on the same drill three months in. And, you know, they along the way, there are these tiny little improvements. And then, you know, as time goes by, you know, we're on the lesson tee again. And I'm like, well, we're not there yet. You know, the, you, feel, you feel like you're getting there. And, yes, you are playing better but your ultimate goal of hitting certain shots, you know, we're not quite to, to that place yet. So I find, you know, some players, and it's a small percentage, it's probably under 25%, that can do a drill for a week or two, and they've got it. 
Like they just have a, mm-hmm. a better sense of, of where their swing is and they can just make those adjustments. And I have, I have a couple of golfers I've been working with over a year and we're still working on the same type of drill, even though I might be doing it a little different way from time to time. Uh, <clears throat> but sometimes you just have to do it if you're going to, if you really want the results and it's taken some players a little longer than others, then you just keep pushing it until you get it. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, when they're practicing, I try to avoid just doing the drill because that's that seems like work, right? So I right. like to do, you know, where they have like a ratio where they do, they're in their station, they're doing three drill swings, and then they go in and they make a regular swing. And then they make three more drill swings and then a regular swing where they're they're not doing the drill. And then they just kind of rotate in and out of the actual practice versus making a swing so they, they're not just locked in to staying with that drill for too much time, especially in the, in one session on the range, it's better to rotate a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, a good idea because again, you know, if, if it, if there's a sense from the student, gosh, this is work, you know, I've got to really win. And we know that <clears throat> realistically they need to be doing it because that's why they're coming to us. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to make it so that it's fun and it's engaging and it's interesting and it doesn't just feel like you, you're coming in and, and it's like a, and I mean no disrespect, so don't anybody reach out to me, and, but it's like going to a factory. You're doing the same thing day in, day out. You've got to mix it up a little bit um, in, in order to make it interesting. And so if people feel like they've, you know, they're kind of doing the same old thing constantly uh, throughout a, a practice session, um, even though it might be ultimately good for them, psychologically, they're throwing up a negative barrier, um, and, and it can be actually work against you as an instructor sometimes. So I think that's a great point that you make, James. Um, Pete, uh, pardon me, um, this is sort of a piggybacks on to the question I just asked you about incorporating uh, you know, bad habits, but um, should we teach an old dog new tricks or find ways of improving subtly what they have to work with now? So in other words, if you've got a student that's coming to you and you know maybe they've got a uh, backswing and whatnot like Lee Trevino, but they're still getting pretty decent shots. Do you bother trying to correct some of the things as long as they're getting the, the optimal result? Do we want to start correcting everything um, and teaching, as I said, an old dog new tricks, or do we want to work with what they've got and just improve upon that? Wow, that's a, that's another great one. Um, you're on a roll tonight, Ted. I like it. Um, you know, if, if they can produce a repeated ball flight, you know, I'd be really hesitant to start messing around with it. You know, people mm-hmm. ask me all the time, said, well, what would you do if Jim Furyk showed up? I said, well, after Washington hit 10 balls, I'd go out and start playing. I mean, obviously he can hit. Yeah. So you don't want to start mm-hmm. messing around too much uh, with somebody who has the ability to, to get the club back on the ball. But you can also go through the, the set too, because inevitably there's going to be some shots that they, have, they struggle with. And so you're going to have to make some, you know, changes, uh, whether it's subtly or, you know, an overhaul, you're going to have to do some so that they can get the club back and get in a position where they can start to repeat and and make some better contact overall. I mean, I I love what James said before, and and I've done the same thing. You know, to me, ultimately, in the end, the the backswing is the driving force to the downswing. And if they don't have it in the right place yet, you know, I'm I'm not advancing to the downswing until they get it. You've got to put that backswing mm-hmm. in a reasonable place that's going to help them to make a downswing. And so they have to understand just exactly what that is. But they also have to understand 
you know, more than anything else, what, what the function is between the hands and arms and the club and the body, because they, they produce different things. And for the most part, way different from what they ever imagined they would produce. And so I think along the lines of not only just getting the swing to make some changes to make the impact better, you also have to give them a good understanding of why you're doing the things you're doing because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it easier for them to then practice and do the drills because they have a better understanding of, of why we've asked them to do the things we're asking them to do. Just to give them a drill to give them a drill, um, yes, yeah, some may do that, but I want them to have a full understanding as to why we're doing it because then it, it, mm-hmm. it makes them understand that we're working towards correct instead of fighting an incorrect. And that's really where we want to go. We always want to work towards making the impact more correct and, and not fight something that's just, you know, we're going to leave that there and redirect the downswing. That's even more work. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to add to the burden that they're trying to do. I want to ease it. So uh, if I have mm-hmm. to, um, I'm going to go in and, and make the changes necessary. Um, but then again, as you said at the beginning, if they can strike the ball, you know, what a great advantage that is. But inevitably, you're going to find a piece of the impact or of, of their shot patterns that they don't do as well, and so you're going to have to dig in and make some changes. Yeah, and that's where it really and, – and, again, that's where doing a thorough ins- assessment, with, particularly with a new student, even if they've been playing for a while, is crucial. I mean, having them just hit two or three shots and saying, okay, well, we're going to work on this is not going to do it. You've got to dive deep. You've got to get in there. You've got to look at all aspects of their game because, as you said, you know, if you've got something like whether it be a Jim Furyk or what have you, uh, they might be hitting it pretty solid, you know, on the range uh, – you know, um, with, with their irons, but then they start getting into the short clubs and then all of a sudden they're having some issues. Um, so you might find some things there. I think the only thing that I would um, challenge about making changes is if, in fact, what they're doing, is, and I'll give you a quick example, is, is somehow going to hinder long-term uh, their physical ability. Um, for instance, you know, for years we always had the reverse C uh, we would see on tour a lot of the pros, they would be really arching their back. Um, and obviously that was found to be very uh, hard on a lot of people, uh, a lot of back issues and that over the years and other problems. I think if there was something in their swing that was putting undue stress on a particular, whether it be back or, or even their knees, um, as a result of um, an incorrect pattern, shall we say, I might want to take a look and maybe tweak a few adjustments. But again, I don't want to do a major overhaul or something that's going to, uh, hamper what you pointed out, Pete, where they're making good solid contact and, and getting good ball flight just because they got a little tweak at the top of their swing. As long as it's not going to create a physical issue for that particular player long term, um, then I, I probably wouldn't touch that. I would look for and isolate some of the points that you uh, you brought. Um, you know, J- James, one of the things <coughs> that we we've heard a lot about, excuse me, um, you know, over the years is you know, sort of the method of teaching, and I'm not talking about the stack and tilt or things like that, but actually should we be teaching or working from uh, the green back to the tee as opposed to the other way with your students? Um, and I think we've, we've, we're probably all a consensus on this, is I think we've discovered that, as I pointed out earlier, with the short game is really where you're going to score. So it's nice to be able to hit those great tee shots, and yes, we need to get it in position, but I am a firm believer and and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, do you try to work from green to tee as opposed to tee to green with your students? Is that something that you uh, subscribe to as well? I, uh, if that's what they want, I give that to them. Mm-hmm. 
but I rarely start that way. I find even, you know, whenever I started teaching like a four-year-old and I'm standing there, whether it's a boy or a girl, and I ask them, what club do you want to hit? And even if they don't right. know what it's called, they grab the driver. And I'm like, well, right. why do you want to hit the driver? <laughs> I, and their words are, and this is from whether they're four years old or they're 60 years old, I want it to go farther. <clears throat> so right. I find at the very beginning that I, I try to give them the ultimate excitement. So I call it like mm -hmm. where I use the term a lot, mind-blowing. So I want to light the fire as soon as possible, especially with the with new ladies that are learning to play because most of them are very mm -hmm. intimidated, you know, especially hitting off the ground. But I'm going for the driver, right. and I'm going to – I want that ball to be launched as far as we can go because once I – that first moment for me and I get their attention, <clears throat> then usually I have control of what I want to do with them every day after that versus just saying, mm -hmm. okay, well, this is how we're going to go. We're going to start with putting. I'm going to teach you how to make a three-footer and then a 20-footer and then teach them how to do bunkers. Yeah, I, I rarely I, – well, I can just say I just don't ever do it that way, uh, mm -hmm. even though I know a lot of folks do. And, uh, yeah, I go for bombing it first, and, and then mm -hmm. I spread everything back in. And I, I usually – as soon as I can get somebody hitting the ball pretty well, I get them on the golf course as soon as possible. And sometimes that's in the second or third lesson. Uh, mm -hmm. Just so once they're out there and they've never been there, they they just that the feeling of being on the property and and doing it the right way out there and learning how to do it, they're just they're ready to go. They're like, when can I come in yep. next? <laughs> and that and that's what we yeah. want to hear. And and I would agree with that. I think it, especially for a newer student that's not really comfortable, and whether it be uh, you know in a women's group or something that's new to the game or maybe hasn't played very much. Um, they are certainly can be very intimidated, and, and certainly maybe some junior players. You want to kind of create that wow factor, uh, Pete. But what about you? I mean, I know you really focus in uh, obviously all aspects of the game, but I know that you really uh, kind of specialize on on getting those uh, short game shots na uh, nailed down. Um, do you kind of look at again? Obviously, you're going to assess the student where they're at, and obviously you want to, as James suggested, you want to um, find out what it is that they want. Uh, but do you tend to, once you kind of get a, a, an overview of their game, you know that they're going to lose a lot of strokes more often than not within that short game range. Do you tend to try to work from that range, uh, you know, that short game area back to the tee um, in your philosophy, if you will, or do you kind of subscribe along the same lines as James? Well, I'm, I'm a little of both. Um, I would probably gear more towards... Uh, using a lot of the short game because I think a lot of the fundamentals that are in there uh, get them to be mm -hmm. able to, to control the club face a little bit quicker. And so they can get the, the club on the ball. They can start to see some shots that get into the air. Um, I know when I first have them, you know, there, there's, there's nothing better than, you know, I, I don't usually use a driver. I'll probably use a fairway wood um, and just get it up on the tee and, and let them, you know, let them see that they can hit it out there somewhere. You know, I don't, I don't mind doing that, but um, I'm going to get them, to the short game shots as quickly as I can um, because I, I just want them to be able to understand how to score and, and what that's all about and, and so that they understand that there's, there's more to it than just hitting full shots, you know, from the tee or from the fairway. And so I want them to be able to, to play those shots, but also 
I use it as a tool um, to get them better control over the club face and then start working in some of the, the shorter range shots from 30 to 40 to 50 yards to start to start sequencing up how the body moves, how the club moves, and to get them to understand how to put those together. Um, and as I said before, because we're doing it on a smaller, shorter, uh, and slower scale, I think I can build things a lot faster that way. Um, but then again, you, as you wrote, you said, I mean, you have to read the student too. I mean, and if it's, if it's something they really don't want to do, okay, well, then that's okay. We'll, we'll work that in eventually. Um, if you want to hit right. some drivers, let's hit some drivers. But I think in the end, um, to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move towards the short game quicker than I'm going to do uh, some of the other things. Um, I've been doing it that way for, for 30 years. So, you know, I'm going to continue to keep doing it. Um, I've seen some value that way. So, so I'm going to tend to add a lot of short game into it at the beginning as well. Yeah, and I think it's a matter of you've got to kind of sprinkle a little everything in there. I think you want to give them that, that uh, you know, sort of wow factor, if you will, and, and people want to get excited because, as James said, you know, it brings you back uh, when you, you know, stripe a good one out there and you're thinking, wow, boy, I can, you know, I can really step on this one here. Uh, it, it gets them excited and coming back. And, and, again, if you, you know, the truth of the matter is it's like anything. Uh, you, you have to allow them to have some successes. And it can be very difficult uh, and even stressful for some if they're focusing on um, whether it be the short game or, or certain aspects where they've really got to hone in and dial in. I mean, it, there's a time for, you know, kind of doing that homework that needs to be done if they want to, uh, if, if their goal is, I guess, go back for a second. If their goal is, I want to, you know, it's game improvement, I want to score better, and I want to learn, you know, to, to play better overall, then I think working on those short game fundamentals in those areas uh, first uh, might be a good idea. But if they just want to get out there and, hey, I just want to see what I can do and, and, and I really just want to have some fun and, you know, just say that, brag to my buddies that, hey, I can, you know, belt it out there at 275 or 225 or whatever the case is, um, then I think you have to, again, sprinkle some of that fun in there as well. So I think there's really no right or wrong answer. I think it depends on the individual student you're working with, and I think it depends on what, the, what has been successful for the teacher with, uh, you know, as you pointed out, Pete, as well. Um, you know, James, one of the things is, I think, with um, a lot of golfers is when it comes to equipment. And, you know, there's a lot of different equipment out there. Uh, a lot of the manufacturers have even made changes, not specifically in um, the level of equipment, but how they're putting together sets. I mean, we don't see a lot of sets uh, anymore that are, uh, certainly they are available, but they're, they're sort of scaling them back uh, from having, you know, a, a two, three, four iron now they might start at a five or six iron and work down and offer some other alternatives. So do golfers, even some of the better golfers, and I'm not talking, of course, the tour-level golfer, but do they need to really be carrying long irons now, or should they maybe be replacing with something else like a hybrid? What are your thoughts here? Love this topic. So, yeah, I last year was probably my biggest year of club fitting in the last 20 years. So many players, you know, coming into the game and buying new clubs. I rarely uh, go above a six iron now. So mm -hmm. almost every player that's getting fit, the hybrids are so good. I would say half mm -hmm. of my players are, they have seven iron down to the lob, and they have a six hybrid, a five hybrid, four hybrid, and then like a five wood and a driver. That's the majority of the fittings, I mean, by a lot. Uh, those hybrids are 
you know, not to call them cheating, but they are like cheating. They are so good. And, <laughs> and when you have to, you need to hit the ball up in the air. I mean, they do that. And I'm telling you, even, even some of my players that are single digits have a six hybrid in the bag because, golly, every time they have a shot where they're hitting that club in, and let's say they're 160 to maybe 180 yards, you know, a lower handicap player, and they're on a par three or what have you, or, or on a par five where they have to carry water. I mean, that club is, is like magic compared to hitting a six iron or a five iron, like really magic. Uh, and these days I rarely ever fit a three wood. Uh, you, I mean, once in a while, a three wood, maybe, maybe a handful of those last year, but the majority mm-hmm. of fairway woods that start in the bag are either the five wood or seven wood. And I think even watching right. the Masters today, I could have swore they said that Tony Finau, one of those holes, was hitting a seven wood into the green. He had a seven wood in the bag. I'm pretty sure I heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like a five wood, a seven wood, and you, that thing is way up in the air. Oh my goodness, it's good. But I don't even have a three wood <laughs> in my own bag. Yeah, just yeah, not I, necessary. And, yeah, and I think there's been so much advancement with technology too, James, that. Um, as you pointed out, I mean, it, it, the, the hybrids and, and some of the, the other fairway woods, like a, a, a five or a seven uh, wood, is so forgiving now. The technology has, has advanced so much that you can just, even a less accomplished player can get some good mileage out of those clubs as opposed to trying to finesse or come up with some sort of a dream shot with a five iron or, or a four iron. It's just not going to happen unless they have really good sound fundamentals uh, and, and are able to make uh, good contact. So I, I think that's uh, well pointed out. I think uh, you know the industry has changed, and I think golfers are recognizing the advantage of carrying some of those alternatives uh, in their bag. All right, Pete, I'm coming back to you, and we're going to talk about um, approach shots. A lot of golfers um, struggle with this, um, you know, as we've talked about many times on the show. Um, what are some of the common faults, particularly with hitting their wedges? What is it, some of the, the common faults that you see? What is it they're not understanding uh, when it comes to using their wedge? Uh, they're just not understanding how the club itself works, uh, some of the components of the club. What's, what's the deal here? How can we help them uh, hit those approach shots uh, and using their wedges a little bit more effectively? Well, this is always a fun one. You know, the, the first thing I try to get them to understand is their wedges are not digging tools. So, you know, they they make garden tools for that. Those are not for your wedges. So we don't need to be digging the fairways up with those wedges. They need to understand what the bounces are for and how to utilize them. Um, you know, the biggest mistake I think more than anything else is, is they're very handsy, especially with the trail arm. They pitch that wrist out so early because they think they have to get the club under the ball, and it just wreaks havoc on the impact. Um, so get them to understand how the, how the arms in the shaft work together, um, and not only that, how the body then is going to enhance that to get them to be able to utilize the bounce even better so that they can get the club traveling in the same direction all the time uh, with a good club base control. That way their start lines are always the same. And it really doesn't take much to get that to happen. Um, I have a a really cool way that I go about doing it to get them to understand how the the handle of the club has to travel and where it needs to be and where it needs to go. And uh, I can get them to, to hit some good solid shots very quickly. But I think more than anything else, that the hands are too independent from the arms uh, for the amateurs when they try to pitch a ball. And so um, they usually 
uh, you know, they're going to hit fat or thin shots, um, or they're going to hit them in the hosel. Um, and, and I think, too, a lot of the mistakes are made in the short game to where they don't understand that in the backswing you still have to turn. You can't just pick it straight up in the air. You've got to have some body rotation in that short little shot uh, so that you can create some depth so you can hit it in the face instead of hitting it in the heel all the time. Um, but more than anything else, it's getting them to understand the shaft and the arms and how they work together and, um, and you know, to really utilize the bounce to their advantage and so that no matter what surface of grass they're hitting off of, they've got a great chance to be able to hit that ball very solid. But I think for me, more than anything else, it's, it's the, the hand-arm relationship, I think, is, is more an error than anything else I've seen. And um, it just uh, creates, you know, trouble trying to get solid contact on it. So I work on that quite a bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, another thing, James, and it was interesting, you, you made a comment earlier in the program uh, about how one of the, the things that you like to do in, in a drill is to uh, get them to pause at the top in the backswing. And it's interesting that you mention that because I've, I've mentioned this a few times on the show here uh, lately, particularly at the beginning of this year. And back in December, I went to, um, they had the, the final stages of the Q series for the LPGA um, here in, in the area where I'm at. And it was interesting because I watched a lot of these young ladies on the practice tee when they were up there in the morning working on, on various parts of their game. And there were a couple of particular, I don't recall the names off the top of my head, but there were so many of them out there, but um, they really forced that pause. You could, you could definitely see that pause. Uh, and then there was a, a definite transition. So it wasn't just sort of a choppy swing or whatnot. What's, I guess what I'm asking you, um, based on, on that um, format, if you will, what is it that people don't understand or have difficulty uh, transitioning from backswing to downswing? What is it that's causing that, do you think, for most people? Is it a body disconnect? Um, is it not having that pause at the top to, to signify, okay, now I've, got to, now I've got to start moving in the other direction? What, in your opinion, based on what you've seen over your career, uh, is the biggest disconnect um, with the, between the backswing and the downswing for many golfers? So that question is really one of my favorites right there. And the answer is, is that players are never in the right sequence. So your best players, when you're watching them and you, you know, watch the TV, they, when they are swinging the club back, you know, the club is moving, the body's starting to move. And as they're arriving to the top of their swing, even as their swing is uh, arriving to the end on the backswing, right? The, the rest of their body is already starting to move back towards the target, finishing the swing. So there's, there's a real sequence. Like it's like, uh, like a firing order, like in a motor, like a one, two, mm -hmm. three, four. And then as you're at the top of the swing, now you're like four, three, two, one. And so the stop at the top drill for me, it gives that player a moment to realize that, you know, the error that all of them have is that when they get to the top, they're firing the hands in the club first and the rest of the body is just kind of sitting there. It's never really in motion, like an athletic motion to, to swing through the ball. So the stopping at the top allows them to learn and teach themselves, wow, you're right, you know, when you're at the top of the swing, you know, the hands in the club are actually, even though it's just for a moment, they're coming last. And the rest of the body has to start moving through to, to finish the swing. And, and 
regular, you know, average golfers, not to sound derogatory, but, you know, they're always trying to hit the ball. So they mm-hmm. really never make a swing. You know, they kind of swing on the way back, but even the music, whenever it's playing, you know, I, I always refer to music like listening to a song, you know, and the band is playing and all right. the notes go in order and then the song's over. And golfers, they're always, you know, they have a couple of notes that go and they're never in the right order. And when they're at the <laughs> top of the swing, now they want to hit it so badly. And then they're all in the, they have all these swing thoughts. They're like, well, I have to keep my eye on the ball and I have to keep my head down. Oh, and now I have to turn and finish my swing and, and I have to swing at the target. And so many of them are, well, I have to swing inside out. And so there's these, these, these noises <laughs> in the brain these conversations mm-hmm. that you're having with yourself and then the music is never actually playing. So, so for me, the stop at the top allows you to learn to play your own song. I mean, and, and it, it's, it is so effective uh, and the results are just fantastic for me. It's why I love doing that drill. Yeah. And, and you know, it, you're right. I think so many amateur golfers really struggle with that sequential uh, motion, if you will. They're, they're trying to hit the ball as opposed to swing and uh, through the ball. And, you know, we ball. see uh, this. Yeah, this is why you see so many um, tour players. You, you watch them on TV. Everything looks so effortlessly uh, done. And it is really. I mean, obviously, they've they've practiced. They've worked on uh, various components, but um, it's very effortlessly uh, done. And, and that's what I saw when I went to the Q series. I mean, these girls are all, you know, trying to secure their LPGA cards for 2022 and and uh, hoping to to be able to go to the next stage of their of their careers. And it was just very interesting how they were just able to, again, with very little effort. I mean, certainly able to generate a lot of swing speed, but it didn't look that to the naked eye. Um, it just looked like they were just swinging, you know, just having a great old time, and the results were just phenomenal. Um, you know, especially this one young lady was there every morning, um, and she would get up there, and again, she would make a, uh, a, a noticeable pause at the top of her swing, and then she would drive through uh, in the downswing. And, I mean, she started off hitting, uh, you know, a couple of wedge shots to one of the close uh, greens on the range, and, I mean, every single one, it was like a dart. It was just like boom, 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 boom around that cup. And, um, you know, I've watched a lot of amateur golfers, as I'm sure you have, out in the practice tee, and they're not looking like darts. I mean, you might see the odd one throw it in there, but they're certainly not looking like darts, um, you know, around that pin. So, you know, I, I think it's important for them to really understand um, how you put the swing together and having sort of noticeable uh, uh, components throughout. I want to ask both of you, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> the same uh, final question as we, we transition here. Uh, Pete, I'm going to come back to you. Um, what change, if anything, would you like to see moving forward in golf instruction? I mean, there's so much technology, there's so much new and, and innovative ways to teach the game, but what would you, particular, is there anything that you would like to see happen in and in order to help students, um, is there something that you would like to see that maybe you haven't seen a lot of or you'd like to see more of um, happening uh, in order to help students uh, transition from that high handicap down to a better player? What's your thoughts there? And, and then, James, I want you to answer your, uh, from your perspective. Yeah, an, another great one. To me, um, I was fortunate uh, in, 
in my career to start teaching to learn from John Jacobs and learn cause and effect. And I think that has really gone out the window uh, as far as golf instruction mm-hmm. goes. There's not a lot of uh, it, there's not a lot of coaches out there or teachers out there that really truly understand cause and effect. If they did, it mm-hmm. would make it so much easier for the masses to be able to do it. Um, I think technology is great and it's advanced a lot of things, but I think it also has taken away from learning and understanding cause and effect because even if you have the numbers, you still have to learn how to fix it. And so if you can understand what causes what to happen, you can get to the fix so much faster. Um, You know, I've always related the golf swing to like having a cold. There's a virus that causes symptoms. Every golf swing has a virus that causes symptoms. The amateurs work on the symptoms to make themselves feel better, but they never get to the cause. They never get to it. Um, and it's, it's to, to me, if we could get them to better understand cause and effect overall, I think that would be a game changer um, to not only the instructors out there, but also to the masses because they'd have a great understanding then of why they do what they do, and they could dig in and get it fixed a lot faster. Um, I used to challenge my instructors with the golf schools. I said, if they've hit four or five shots and nothing changed, you missed it. You didn't get to the root cause because if you change the root cause, the ball flight will change. You have Mm -hmm. to get to the reason why they do what they do. So I think if we could continue to teach cause and effect, I think it would be a, a um, a, a great change overall to golf instruction. Very interesting and, and well said. Um, James, you know, I think we would all agree that there is certainly a place and a time for technology, and it certainly, as, as Pete pointed out, it does benefit um, and can benefit greatly in helping us to um, uh, identify certain uh, areas in the game that as a coach or as a teaching professional is going to help us understand what's going on. Um, but sometimes to the student, it can be a little bit overwhelming, uh, all the technology. You know, they feel like they're being strapped up to uh, electrodes sometimes and, and uh, not always really understanding the purpose. Um, what is your thought here? What would you like to see um, different or more of, uh, I guess might be a better way to put it, um, to help make that transition a little bit easier for students. I know we're all doing it, and, and again, this is not, let me preface this, I should have done this before I had Pete do it. Um, this is not a knock at the profession or anything like that. I'm just, I'm a firm believer, I think that we can always find ways of moving forward and improving uh, what it is that we do, and I think having these open dialogues and not sort of at each other's throats all the time, as we sometimes see in social media, um, is, is there to help one another to, to be able to, uh, make it a, a better experience for our students. So what do you think, uh, James, in your opinion, what would you like to see more of uh, or an improvement in uh, that you think would help make that transition a little bit easier for some of the students out there? Well, this might sound a little crazy, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of YouTube <laughs> that <clears throat> folks are watching that should never be on YouTube to, for somebody to watch it, like some of the stuff on there. And there's, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there are probably 100,000 videos on there that is just nonsense. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and it's amazing. Even some of my players that I coach all the time, and, you know, they'll show up, and they're like, you know, I was watching this YouTube guy. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. brother. And, I, and my first reaction is, well, you got to cancel the cable. You've got to turn this off. This is crazy. And, uh, but yeah, uh, 
I, I really love the launch monitors, the personal launch monitors mm-hmm. that are affordable. I have four of them now, and mm-hmm. I use each one of them here and there. Uh, Pete and I actually, behind the scenes, talk about launch monitors a lot and which ones we're using mm-hmm. and, and which ones we're happy with. And, uh, but I got to tell you, I have four of them in my cart all the time, and, but I probably only use them you know, twice a day. So I only bring them out if I need to like prove a point or, or if somebody really needs to understand that they're, you know, they really don't hit it as far as they think or some of the players that feel like they're hitting it short, it's actually going farther than they think. So, uh, but yeah, technology, I love it. Uh, I have a couple of great little devices. I have blast motion and uh, which is good for the full swing and really amazing for putting. And, uh, and of course, my, my favorite launch monitor, the Rapsodo, is, is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the regular golfers, again, all day long, if I have eight hours in a day, <clears throat> I probably bring out the launch monitors or even the Blast Motion. I only bring it out once or twice a day. Uh, the rest of it is them learning on their own. They, they really, where they don't need the feedback, where they don't need the proof, they need to just learn how to get, get their swing going. I know that I know Pete would agree with that, and uh, yeah, and then I do bring them out, but not as much as some might think. Yeah, and and I think it's important, guys. You know, and again, you know, we've talked many, many times over the years uh, about technology and and the benefits of it, and there certainly is, definitely, no doubt about it, there is a benefit of it. But I think it's again, it's not meant to be. Uh, a standalone teaching tool. It's again, you're not just hooking them up with technology and saying, "Okay, have at it." Um, it's there really to uh, affirm certain points that you want to make. It's there to show them why the ball is doing this. Um, you know, by showing them certain numbers that are going to identify, here's what you're doing, and here's the result. Uh, we're seeing physically the result with the ball flight, but here's what's oh. actually happening to the ball. And you know, I think it's it's something that uh, has to work hand in hand. But it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, we want to see, you know, especially now, uh, I think we would all agree with this. Uh, again, because, uh, James, as you pointed out early on, you know, we've just, you know, coming out of this pandemic and a lot of people that had never looked at this game before or maybe looked at it and never really took it uh, to heart are now coming to the game. They've never, you know, as much as picked up a golf club. And so we've got to find ways of tapping into that market, but also, more importantly, keeping them engaged and interested in coming back. Um, it's very easy to get them on the lesson tee the first time around, um, but it's keeping them there. And, you know, certainly technology can help with some folks that maybe are a little bit more gadget-friendly. Uh, but for the average folks out there, it's not really on its own going to do anything to help them um, without some of the other things that we, we know that we need to do. So I think it's, it, it's a balancing act, if you will, as I guess. And, and James, as you pointed out, uh, you know, you're bringing it out a few times a day, but not you know, living in that technology all day long, because obviously you recognize as somebody that's been in the business, as does Pete, um, <coughs> that it has a place and a purpose, but it's not meant to, to overshadow um, the teaching professional in, in itself. Um, I'm going to give you guys uh, a quick moment before we wrap up. Uh, two things. Um, one, what you got cooking this season? What are you looking forward to uh, besides watching the Masters? Um, 
Uh, Pete, I'm going to start with you, but what have you got looking forward to this season? Something new that you're launching or something new that you want to share? Uh, and then let the folks know the best way if they want to reach out to you, how they can do that. And then, James, you go ahead. Well, first and foremost, Ted, thanks again for, for having us on. It's always a great pleasure to be on and, and chat with you. You do a fantastic job with this. Um, I'm, I'm working on a, a, a new a swing program, enhancing what I've done. Um, I thought I've, I've simplified things down to where I, I thought they could be, but now I'm, I'm adding some body function in there, which is actually making it even more simple. Um, so I've been really studying uh, how the body moves and, and more cause and effect to really make some changes in the swing in, in as little time as possible. So that's something that I'm working on and bringing forth uh, this year. But they can reach me at PeteBuchananGolf.com. That's the easiest way to do it. All my contact info is out there. And so, uh, as I always say, contact me. Let's start a conversation, and uh, let's, let's start working to, to make your golf better. But, uh, again, thanks, Ted. And, James, always, always great chatting with you, man. I, I always enjoy it. You too, pal. I appreciate it. Uh, James, what about you? What have you got cooking this season? Uh, what do you uh, got something that you're really looking forward to? And uh, besides just uh, helping the golfers out, there's anything you got coming up? And, uh, and then let the folks know how they can reach out for you. Yeah, you know, I am actually trying to play more for the first time in a very long time. I haven't actually played an 18-hole round of competitive golf in just over seven years now. Just been busy, wow. you know, with my teaching business and, and my family. But, uh, yeah, I have been getting out playing more, and I, uh, you know, by summertime I may try to qualify for a few things, uh, and we'll see how that goes. But other than that, you know, just teaching uh, a good amount. This, this year I am uh, engaging more of the other professional staff at our club to take over more of the junior programs as, you know, for me, I'm the, my adult business has uh, exploded really in the last two years. So I'm doing, I have, my schedule is much more busy with adults and I still have a good number of juniors that I see a lot. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to the camps and those sorts of things this summer, you know, I'm, I'm letting the rest of the staff take over those kind of programs and let them get better at what they're doing, you know, teaching the young ones and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, other than that, again, Ted and Pete love being on here with you guys. Uh, my name is James Kyle, PGA, and my academy, I run out of East Lake Woodlands Country Club, which is in Oldsmar, Florida, just a little west of Tampa, Florida. And uh, my website, jameskylegolfacademy.com. And the other exciting thing I recently invested in with my Thrive Sports uh, web, web team is I invested in their app, which now all my mm-hmm. students are now logged into the app, and we store our videos there, voiceover, control, you know, we can do everything with the videos in that app. And so I recently invested in that, and that's been taken uh, very well with everybody. And so now everyone that visits my website who hasn't met me yet, they can actually book me online. My calendar, everything is available without having to reach out to me directly. And that's been great so far Fantas- this year. Fantastic. Well, as always, guys, I appreciate, uh, as I said in the beginning, I appreciate you giving of your time. I know it's not always easy when we're uh, on the lesson tee to, you know, run back and, and hop on a, an hour-long uh, session with me, but I try to make it as painless as possible, and, and uh, I, I hope you guys, uh, yeah, really, uh, <laughs> i got another hour to go. Um, but hopefully, 
you guys enjoyed yourself tonight. I tried it too, and uh, you know, from some of the responses I got, I think I picked the right questions for the right guys. Um, I know you're both quite capable of, of answering any questions, but uh, I think I, I hit the nail on the head with a few of the questions for each of you. So, uh, but thank you for always uh, bringing your best to uh, uh, to the coaches' corner panel. And I look forward to having you guys on again the next time. Thank Thanks, you guys. Chad. Good night. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. All right, that was uh, James Kyle and Pete Buchanan joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, we're going to take just a, a quick uh, short break, and then I'm going to be joined uh, here momentarily uh, by my special guests, uh, Pat Buchanan. Or, sorry, Pat Boone, my apologies, Pat Boone and Rick uh, Eldridge. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, upcoming movie, The Mulligan, uh, here in just a moment. But uh, first, let me... Uh, Uh, share a a great message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, and don't forget, uh, go to golftipsmag.com. Uh, is our website. Uh, you can do a lot of different things there. You can see some great video tips. There's lots of uh, instructional articles as well as some travel uh, destinations that you may want to uh, find along the way. Uh, so go to golftipsmag.com. And you can also subscribe uh, to the magazine. Uh, it's available in both print and digital, so you can subscribe either uh, either or or both. So if you uh, prefer to have uh, uh, the magazine in your hot little hands, you can get a print subscription. Uh, or if you prefer the digital uh, only you can also uh, get the digital option there as well, uh, or maybe you like both. Maybe you're someone who travels and you want to have a copy at home, and maybe you like to do a little uh, reading on your favorite tablet or uh, mobile device. Uh, you can have the digital version of Golf Tips Magazine as well. So lots of great options there, lots of great tips uh, on the website as well. So make sure you go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, I'm very, very excited uh, this evening uh, for a couple of reasons. I always enjoy doing the broadcast. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to both of my, uh, my special guests this evening. I'm going to tell you a little bit about both of them, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about the reason they're here tonight. Uh, first up is Pat Boone. Uh, he is a movie star, a gold recording artist, best-selling author, uh, Broadway show headliner, and television star. He sold more than 45 million records and has 13 gold discs, uh, two gold albums, and a platinum record. Uh, has 18 top 10 songs and 38 top 40 songs. Uh, His Love Letters in the Sand was on the charts for 34 consecutive weeks. Uh, He grew up in Nashville, uh, graduated from Columbia University in New York, and lived much of his life in Hollywood. Also going to be joining me, uh, he's going to be a few minutes later, uh, is Rick Eldridge. He's the producer uh, for 35-plus years in the entertainment business as a musician, producer, director, and entrepreneur. Whether it's sports programming, Uh, live production, animated series, or feature films. He's been involved in every facet of creative development and production management in the entertainment industry. A graduate of Brevard College with advanced studies at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte. Um, But we're going to bring my first guest on, and and as I said, Rick will join us a little bit later. Please welcome uh, the legendary Pat Boone. 
Good evening, Pat, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hi, Pat. Good evening. Hey, this is Rick Eldridge. I don't know if Pat's on the line. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. No, me. I'm sorry. Uh, they, okay. Well, Okay, well, Rick, I, I apologize. I got that backwards. They uh, sent me a message. Okay. They sent me a message earlier and said that Pat was going to come on first, and then uh, that you would be coming in a, a few minutes later. So I, I yeah. got it backwards. So my apology. Um, no, so I, hopefully I, he'll I, be calling I'm in. Set. Yeah, maybe I think he will. We talked. We were together last night down in Augusta, and uh, I had to fly back to Virginia to be on set for another movie I'm, I'm producing, and. So uh, I just jumped off the set and uh, came in. So uh, good, to, good to join you, and I'm sure Pat will be somewhere behind me. <laughs> All right. Well, not a problem. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on. So uh, obviously I'll start with you first. So let me ask you when uh, – and I'm going to ask Pat the, the same question, and obviously uh, there's going to yeah. be some differences in your answers. But um, what, was, what sort of first went through your mind? I mean, you've done so many different projects over the years. Um, but what was the, about the mulligan – uh, that really caught your eye. What was it about this particular project? You said, you know what, I really want to be a part of this. Well, I I love the the uh, analogy of of golf as a, a as a parable for life. Uh, the uh, the mm-hmm. character of the old pro really caught my attention. Uh, I think uh, Wally Armstrong has been a friend, and uh, he introduced mm-hmm. me to uh, Ken Ken Blanchard, who wrote the book with him. And you know, Wally was a twenty year touring pro. And, uh, of course, Ken has kind of been the business guru for so many years. And, uh, and you know, business leadership, One Minute Manager was his book that uh, sold, I don't know, gill- gazillions of copies. But uh, this was a special <laughs> book that they wrote together. And, uh, you know, when I, when I read it, it just, uh, it just resonated. I'm a golf nut. I love to play. And uh, I, I did a movie about 20 years ago called Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius. And uh, mm-hmm. so I thought it was time to do another golf movie. <laughs> And uh, all of them. Yeah, there's there's so many. Uh, we're, it was great. Yeah, there's so many. Uh, has been so many great movies over the years, and and I'm really looking forward to this. And I, I want to just very quickly before um, we move on is just to let the folks know that it's going to be in select theaters April 18th and 19th, uh, and you can get more information right. at the MulliganMovie.com website. Uh, and actually, there's a, a full-page ad in the latest uh, copy of Golf Tips magazine, which has now uh, become available. Uh, subscribers have got the advanced copy, and it's coming out of newsstands here uh, in, in just a moment. But um, they can get it there. And at the bottom of the ad, there's actually a QR code uh, for theaters and group tickets. So you can scan that code in your uh, mobile phone, and it'll pop up and give you all the information. Or you can just go to the mulliganmovie.com website and get more information. But um, So tell us a little bit about, you, you mentioned, uh, I believe there was something that went on uh, April 5th at the Masters, or leading up to the Masters, uh, sort of a, <laughs> yeah. a, a sneak peek. Tell us about what happened. Give us the, give us the scoop. Well, it's, uh, it, it really was, I got to relive something that I did with the Bobby Jones movie. We had the <laughs> premiere of the film in Augusta at uh, Regal Cinemas, and uh, it was a great afternoon. We did it at the mid-afternoon because typically the, the, the players are on the course, and then they have meetings at night. It was um, we had a great, uh, great event. Uh, Jim Nance came and introduced the movie, and uh, and then uh, spoke after the movie again. Uh, a lot of the golf community were there, and uh, it was just a great tribute to to Wally and Ken and the book and 
we had about eight of our athletes that, that came as well from around the country. So just a great time. We had a phenomenal event, and uh, it, it, it was uh, just, just, just yesterday, the day before yesterday, that we did this on the 5th. Um, yeah. Just a, just a great way to kick off the Masters. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a better way to, uh, to do that as well. And um, so what's been some of the – I mean, obviously it hasn't hit the, the, uh, the main theaters uh, quite yet, um, so that's obviously what we're leading up to. But um, what has been some – what was some of the feedback the other night from those that have watched the movie? What has been some of the comments or feedback uh, that you heard or were you able to get uh, some of that? Yeah, the thing that we were hoping would happen happened in that we, we took this story, which is an analogy around the game of golf, and uh, we have this guy, uh, exec, corporate executive, who has a very successful international business, uh, but uh, everything else in his life is pretty screwed up. And he yeah. is sponsoring this golf tournament, uh, finds out that uh, uh, it, it, he does, he's playing with Tom Lehman, and he wants to impress Tom with his game. And uh, Tom does a great job in the movie, by the way. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then he winds up you know, breaking his putter over his knee and uh, – at which point Tom introduces him to the old pro, and the old pro is going to hopefully help his golf game, but what he gets in the end is, and we know what a mulligan is, a, a do-over. He gets a second right. chance, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the old pro gives him a second chance on, in, in life and looking at the things that matter most in his life, and uh, he reconciles a relationship with his son who hates him at the time and, and with his, uh, his wife who's ready to leave him, and uh, so these things uh, all come together, and it's an incredibly redemptive film. And uh, I think more than anything, for me, it it, uh, it spoke to me that you know I need to look at my priorities, look at the things that matter most in right. in my life too. And so the, you asked me the question: the thing that that really meant the most to me, and the thing that we heard from so many people is that this is not just a golf movie. Uh, it's a movie right. that I want to bring my my kid to, my 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 wife wants to bring a husband to, and and, uh, and and that that resonated. That was fantastic. That's what we hope to accomplish in the film. So uh, uh, that 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 meant a lot. Yeah, and and you know you're exactly right. You know, golf is is really a great connector to life because there are so many lessons that we learn out in the golf course that really you can apply uh, in your everyday life and vice versa. And I've always said that I said golf mimics life in so many ways. And, you know, when I'm, I'm a teaching professional, so when I work with students, I try to, uh, to do that and relay that. And I, yeah. and I can't think of a better per- person to play the old pro than Pat Boone. <laughs> and I think we've got him here. Oh, so let me, let me bring him on. Let me bring him on, and, and then we'll continue the conversation. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, right. please welcome uh, our very special guest, uh, legendary Pat Boone. Hey. Good evening, Pat. <laughs> Hello. Hello, guys. And welcome. Hello, Rick. <laughs> I, uh, I was hoping to be on. I was hoping to be right on at the start, but I was uh, talking to some uh, charming young lady from the uh, Parents Television Council, and I've been involved with them for a long time, trying to uh, have some good influence on uh, what our kids are seeing on TV. Anyway, I'm now I'm here. I'm the old pro now. I li- I'm literally. <laughs> well, I'm not an old pro. I'm, I'm the old uh, codger who still plays golf. <laughs> well, listen, I, um, well, first off, um, I'm very, very honored to have you on. I've been a huge fan of yours over your career, Pat, and I, I can't thank you enough and, and uh, the parties that have helped organize this evening to have you come on, so I really appreciate that. I want to ask you, uh, Rick and I have been talking a little bit. He's sort of given us a little bit of the backstory 
of the movie. But I want to ask yeah. you a question that I asked him, and, and that is, what was it about this movie? When, when the script was brought to you, and, and obviously, uh, as he mentioned, the book was written by, and actually, uh, by the way, Rick, I do know Wally Armstrong. He was a guest on my show a couple of years ago, so I'm very familiar oh, yeah. with the, his work. And, and of course, uh, uh, Ken Blanchard I'm not familiar with, but uh, I'll, I'll see if I can work him in in a future show. Um, but they wrote this mm-hmm. book. So, so, Pat, my question to you is, when you first were presented with the story, The Mulligan, what was it that struck you? And obviously, I know you're a big uh, a golfing fan. I know you love to play the game. Yeah. Or uh, still, yeah. still striping it down the middle. Um, but what was it about this, this particular script that really, really hit uh, home for you? Well, you know, I'm a parent and uh, four daughters and a grandparent with 16 grandkids and uh, now 16 great-grandkids. And uh, I'm so deeply concerned about the influences mm-hmm. on people in today's world and uh, and right. growing more insidious all the time and, and so powerful, drawing people away from the simple truth and the simple faith lives that we used to be standard in our country and that we all, at least many of us, grew up in. And, and, it, mm-hmm. and it, it's becoming a thing of the past. Our kids go to school and are... Uh, forbidden to say a prayer or even mention Jesus in right. school. Their teachers, right. their teachers, um, you know, uh, are against anything that's quote religious, and so mm-hmm. I, I worry about our world and our society. And and this this old fellow that I get to play is uh, is cunning and smart in the way he takes this uh, atheist, this young very successful businessman on and uh and and starts out helping him with his golf but making allusions to and comparisons to uh how you have a successful golf game if you have a successful life and apply the same principles and uh and it makes sense and it's real it's not uh, made up it's not uh, conjecture but this old mm-hmm. guy happens to be very wise, and he's smart in that uh, he's he's already earned all the creds he needs in his profession. Right. So this young man respects him as a great golfer and a teacher, but he's not he's not one to hear anything about spiritual things except that the the older fellow keeps making some comparisons that make sense <laughs> to <laughs> right to. He's playing a game of uh, called golf, but playing on God's course, and God makes the rules. A mulligan That's is right. not not permitted in uh, official golf because that's a man-made game. But life is a God-made right. game, and He makes the rules, and He can grant you a second chance or a do-over if you've made really serious mistakes in life. And this film makes that more. Uh, as I read the script, I saw it makes it more appealing that it would be great if I, if there is a God and he cares mm-hmm. about me in my life, even if I've made serious mistakes, he might give me a second chance, a do-over to perhaps uh, straighten my life out and uh, and live more like I probably know I should. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense. It's I really could... a practical thing. Well said, and God bless you for sharing that. You know, it, it, it is so true, guys. You know, 
we're seeing so much every day. And I, I mean, we're here obviously to talk about the movie, so I don't want to, you know, right. go down that path of of talking specifically. But there is so much negativity in the world right away. now. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. But um, <laughs> and obviously the gentleman you're talking about, the actor you're talking about, is Eric Close uh, plays that particular character, and uh, That's right. um, obviously. Yeah, did a great job, and, and there's other uh, in the movie as well. But um, I, I oh, got to first say, Pat, they couldn't have. The yeah, they they have not. Yeah. Um, they could not have picked a better person to play your role than you, Pat. Um, <laughs> you're you were definitely the perfect, and and I know all the characters were were were, uh, were good, but um, but they they couldn't have picked mm-hmm. a better uh, individual, a better, right. better representative to play the the old pro. Um, I want to ask both of you this uh, again. This question. Um, before we get into some of the scenes that were, were favorites in the movie. So how does the story of the second chance resonate with you personally? I know, Pat, you just shared really what, what is important to you and what's sort of missing, but um, were there setbacks in your own life? That, uh, were there any um, that left you seeking a do-over? And then, Rick, I want you to uh, chime in as well on, on that. But, Pat, uh, yeah. I'll let you go first. Well, I've, I've uh, had a remarkably, wonderfully blessed life. And, and, you know, I'm a guy like the old pro in the film who uh, started out with good uh, spiritual foundation and, and knowledge mm-hmm. and uh, determined to live a good life. But things happen in your life that you don't have control over. And one of them in my life was when Shirley developed uh, uh, an inner problem. We didn't know what it was. And she, like many of us, didn't want to go to the doctor. She thought she could just live through it and get over it she she didn't want to get some fearful diagnosis from a doctor right. but what it was it was affecting our personal relationship because every time mm-hmm. i would hold her hand or put my arm around her or, or just want to be affectionate like a husband who loves his wife uh she mm-hmm. said pat i'm sorry but i i'm just i get nauseous i i something yeah. happens i get sick inside and, and so I started saying, well, you better go see a doctor. I mean, this is not good for her. Life. She said, no, no, it's right. fine. I'll get over it. It'll, it'll go away. Well, it was it was a, a moment for me, and I, I blush or, or I'm ashamed, ashamed to say it, but not knowing what it was and that Shirley was reluctant to even go to a doctor and find mm-hmm. out what was wrong, all, all I knew was that I was being rejected and right. uh, and and it made me think, you know, this all my career, there have been other women around who would not be mm-hmm. rejecting me, and, right. and that was became a serious temptation. Fortunately, <laughs> God allowed mm-hmm. me to be tested and tried, and uh, and and co- come to the conclusion that that Shirley and I had made commitments to Him and to each other, and we that we would take the for better or worse, uh, mm-hmm. and if this was some of the worst, then we would just have to adjust, uh, whatever it might be. But then, of course, she recovered, got over that. It was turned out to have been a cyst on her ovaries that oh. resulted partly, I'm sure, in a result of having four kids in less than four mm-hmm. years separately when I was still in college. And we had four kids mm. by the time we were 23, and I graduated <laughs> from college. <laughs> with uh, my own television show and records and a career in full bloom, and uh, yet surely then with four kids to raise and and we both shared the responsibilities and the and the blessings and the love, but 
but that was a big wrinkle in our relationship. It didn't last long, fortunately, and uh, but it was it was tough to handle. I mean, I give that only as a a personal example of a mulligan sure. that uh, that that I learned from, and that's what the old pro tells uh, the young guy Paul McAllister, the hotshot businessman, that that we don't we can't control everything that happens in our lives, no matter how hard we try. Things will happen, and and we may even make terrible mistakes, and we'd like to go back and erase those mistakes, but we can't. However, there is uh, a God who will give us second chances to even repair relationships, to, uh, to, to live a life that almost erases them, uh, even though we might still remember certain things, but we know we've, we've grown past them and we love and we're better people because that's what we went through. So, I mean, that's just one one example. Mm-hmm. There have been many others of illnesses and deaths and things that you have no right. control over and maybe you you could um, you could lose faith or you can realize that God allows bad things to happen in our lives because they are tests of our faith. You don't have a real faith if it hasn't been tested. You have a belief that it's right. not a faith. <laughs> and right. You have and, and, faith and that's. I was just going to say. Yeah, and, and that's if a, you, if you keep your keep your belief uh, when when without faith you would lose it. So anyway. Yeah, and that, that's a great. Uh, yeah, no. That don't let me. Thank you, Pat. Don't for let me keep talking. No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm loving it. It's, you're you're making my job so easy tonight. No, but thank you for sharing that. I mean, I know it's a very personal story, and and but it, it does lead to the point uh, of really what the mulligan is about. Is is it that second chance, that do over? Um, and, and and Rick, do you want to add anything to that? I mean, you don't necessarily have to share a specific story if you don't want, but maybe you could you could yeah. add, add to that. I mean, by all means, you're, it's not yeah. necessarily you're not in the confession you're not in the confessional. So let me just say that, yeah. but. Uh, no, I, I'll say this. Uh, we, we all have stuff, okay? And uh, sure. I think we can look back in our lives and we can see where, you know, uh, we, we either got a mulligan, we got a do-over, or we needed one. And, uh, and we can mm. all tell stories like that. But, you know, the movie actually got a, 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 a mulligan, believe it or not. Uh, we started this film actually a year earlier, and uh, we were shooting in North Georgia, and uh, we got – you're right into the middle of February. We were two weeks away from shooting, about ready to send the cast all, you know, flying in from L.A. and wherever they were. Uh, when the mandate came from the governor of, of, uh, of Georgia that uh, mm-hmm. the first mandate was there can only be 10 people in a room separated six feet apart. It was COVID. Yeah. And um, yeah. so we looked around and there were 70 of us. And, uh, and, and I, we had, literally were you know about you know a quarter of a million dollars into pre-production in an independent yeah. movie mm. and uh wow. and i said guys you know we we got to go home and uh so i i sent 75 people home and called the rest of them and said don't come and uh that was mm. very tough and that's but, rough uh, man that is really rough it, it really was yeah then exactly a year later uh we were able to pull everybody back together and and the movie got its own mulligan 
<laughs> and we were able to get this movie made. Wow. So uh, that's a little tidbit story that, you know, we, we, uh, we lived through that, uh, you know, a, a very different filming with COVID because all of the protocols and everything else that, uh, that we had to deal with. But uh, uh, it, it was hard to do, but yet uh, I think the story, the, the, uh, the way it was developed and, and, and our principal characters with Eric and Pat, uh, and the thing mm. that makes it so real that Pat's speaking of is, you know, even in this beautiful monologue that Pat has where he just lays it all out before, you know, Paul, and Paul's had all of this stuff going on in his life, and he says, I don't know if I'm ready. And he gets up and he walks away. And mm, yeah. uh, how many times have we all done that stuff? You know, have we, and, right. but, mm-hmm. uh, so it's real, and, and, it, and it's, I think it identifies with uh, with with real life. And, uh, and so yeah. that's the exciting part for me and the messaging of the story. And, and it correlates yeah, really yeah, with we, the game of, with the game of golf too, um, guys, because, you know, again, you know, we have situations out in the golf course where we hit a bad shot. We feel like, you know, breaking that club over your knee and, or wrapping it around <laughs> the tree or throwing it across the fairway. Um, but again, mm-hmm. we, we have obviously, you know, not in tournament play, but we, we have the chance of a mulligan, uh, a do over, if you will, and, and, and as I said in the beginning, there's so many um, really great points between the two, between life and golf. And I think it, it was a great way to, to present the message because the message is not golf. Golf is just the vessel that you're delivering uh, really this message for. Um, but the, the message that's being delivered through this movie is one that we all really need right now. Uh, and, and Pat, I, I know, again, we don't want to give out too much of the story because, I mean, people get a general idea, but... Uh, we don't want to give all all of the story away, but were there some favorite parts or favorite scenes in the movie for you particularly? And then, Rick, I want to uh, ask you again the same question, but what were okay. some of the specific scenes in the movie, uh, Pat, that, that you really uh, took something away from? Well, uh, the favorite scenes, not the ones necessarily I took something away from. There was one which people are going to find hard to imagine, to believe their eyes, in which I'm sitting... <laughs> And, and watching this young young guy who actually has a really good swing, and, and Eric Close is a good golfer playing this guy Paul, and uh, and mm-hmm. he's hitting some shots, and he look and he says, "Man, I really hit that." And he looks back at the pro, and the pro's got he's looking up at the sun, but with his eyes closed, said, "You weren't even watching." <laughs> and I said, "I don't have to see a good shot; I can hear it." And uh, right. meanwhile, I'm at, before I'm asking, I'm talking to him. And I'm just idly bouncing the ball on this uh, on the face of this uh, putter. I'm just sitting there, just idly, just tip tapping and bouncing the ball up and down, like I could do that all day long. And uh, it is <laughs> it's, it's, the Tiger Woods did that some long time ago in a commercial where he bounced on a putter like that, a club face, mm-hmm. and then he got it up a little hit, and in midair he hit it a long way. He hit it in midair like 200 yards. I didn't do that, wow. but I was bouncing the ball <laughs> putter on the club like an old pro might do. But um, but also uh, when when he when he says, uh, he, you know, I really was a good golfer. I, I mean, I am a good golfer, and I'm walking away. So oh, I know, and I'm spinning the putter uh, in the circle, just flipping, you know, spinning it around as I walk away. I know you're a real big shot. And so I'm just not not letting him uh, complain to me 
If he wants to hear what I have to say, okay. If not, that's okay too. Up to him. But uh, but yeah, they're really wonderful moments. Also, <laughs> this is uh, this is silly, but you know I did a heavy metal album several years ago, big band mm-hmm. jazz arrangement, mm-hmm. and there was nothing mm-hmm. whatsoever wrong. I made sure there's nothing wrong with any of the songs. They were good, big band jazz arrangements. But many Christians were uh, aghast that I was doing a heavy metal album. Well, it was really my heavy metal was saxophones, trombones, trumpets. And, right. and and some good songs, but but while I'm driving in the car, you'll see this. I'm driving his Maserati, and a very fast, oh, and wow. it's really uh, it, uh, on rounding curves, and it's very dangerous looking, and it's scaring him. It's his it's his car. He's renting it for fifty seven hundred a month, <laughs> but I'm driving Oof. his car. And he says, "When did you? How long has it been since you drove like this?" I said, "Oh." I guess 20 years or so back when I still had a license and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm driving this Maserati without a license. And then I sing, water, like I did in that. Of course, that's just a little side thing, but it's a reasonable that the, that the old guy would have known about that song, but I'm saying it's smoke mm. on the water for heavy, heavy metal fans. <laughs> so there's, there's just moments like that, but, and I'm not going to say the most emotional ones because they are no. too vital. But right. I was very surprised at how I felt in this one very dramatic scene that uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit just swept over me. And I I was not mm-hmm. acting. I was not acting. I was yeah. saying the words. But they were so mm-hmm. real to me in that moment that I was not acting. Wow. So anyway, you'll have to film to know what that's about. Yeah. Yep, I definitely will. Um, Rick, what about yourself? Was there anything, uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the movie overall was, was uh, I'm sure, a lot of, filled with a lot of great scenes uh, that the audience is going to enjoy, but was there particular moments um, from when you've, uh, after it's all been pieced together, that, that really stood out for you? And, and again, I know we're trying not to give too much away here, but uh, <laughs> uh, is there something, yeah. you know, <laughs> we, don't want to, we, we could do the whole movie, but then, you know, um, it, it would exactly. defeat the purpose. I think it's better to be seen <laughs> than heard. There's a, yeah. there's so many. I mean, the the beauty of it is that we 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 crafted a kind of a B story and a C story that we probably haven't even talked about a lot yet. But uh, it's the father son relationship that uh, yeah. is, is broken, and it's the uh, mm-hmm. husband wife relationship that's broken, and it's an international business intrigue that's going on where you've got this mole inside mm-hmm. the company that wants to take over his company. So there's, there's a lot of other stories going on that uh, I think are quite powerful. And, and they, the golf is really just uh, a, a jumping off point to be able to, right. to, to have what I think is a, a really strong performance with uh, a great entertaining value. You're going to laugh and cry and, and have a lot of fun with it. Uh, one of the I moments cried, for me I that was that, three times in the yeah. film, I cry when I see it because they're that, they're that warm yeah. right. and that moving. But also, yep. I'm wearing Payne Stewart uh, plus fours, and we we do a oh, real yeah. tribute to uh, to Payne Stewart because it made, I'm mm-hmm. thrilled about it because it gives me a really colorful character, a memorable character. Right. But uh, but but I'm, it shows me teaching young kids at the real uh, at a real uh, Payne Stewart uh, children's camp. And one thing about mm-hmm. golf, which I love, is the one sport that I know of that teaches kids honor. 
that, uh, yes. that if you make a mistake uh, and you you hit a shot badly and nobody knows it or or saw it or if you even touch a ball in the sand trap which you're not supposed to do you have to you have to penalize mm-hmm. yourself a shot and some pros really strong uh, honest pros have cost themselves tournaments when they had to yeah. call a penalty on themselves for an accidental sh- uh, move and and so it's just the one sport not basketball football or baseball teaches you honor to play to be a good golfer Right. What? Well, what, yeah, let me ask. As far uh, as one of the things, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. Please. I was gonna. I was gonna give you a, one of the uh, one of the scenes that really meant a lot to me. Uh, <laughs> kind of going back to your question, uh, we had uh, this young actor Christian Anderson uh, that we hired. Mm-hmm. We when we when we do this, we worked with Atlanta uh, Casting and, and Mark Fincannon, who was a phenomenal casting director, and we we he saw hundreds and hundreds of of players for each role and, and actors for each role. Uh, and uh, as he zeroed it in on, on two or three, Christian Anderson really stuck out to us. And uh, uh, he, had, he had done some small parts in some of the Marvel things down at Pinewood. And he had, he had a, a, mm-hmm. a good resume going as a young actor. Uh, and so the, the big question came. So we have this scene where you are, you know, one of the inner city kids from the uh, Payne Stewart camp and you have to, uh, play golf with this, this uh, character, you know, Paul. So, you know, have you, have you played golf before? And, and he's a very athletic guy, very, you know, good looking guy. And he oh, says, yeah. well, no, I, I haven't played a lot of golf. And uh, I said, well, okay. <laughs> um, but we loved him. We just loved the role. We loved his look. We loved everything that he delivered for us. So uh, I have a friend who's a pro in, in, in uh, Atlanta and we, uh, we sent him there for, what was going to be three or four weeks to try to learn. And we did this with Bobby Jones. When we did the Bobby Jones movie, uh, Jim Caviezel hadn't played a lot of golf. And we told him, we right. sent him to Harmon uh, and, and told Harmon to teach him the Bobby Jones swing because you don't mess up the Bobby Jones mm-hmm. swing. <laughs> and, right. uh, and so that, right. that worked for us. So, <laughs> so I had this idea, you know, I'll, I'll send him to, uh, I'll, I'll send him to, to Dale because Dale's, you know, in Atlanta, right close by where we're, we're uh, shooting. And, and so Dale spends, spends a few weeks with him and says, well, he's making some progress and doing all right. And, uh, and then, you know, I'm thinking, well, okay, we're going to hire him and we're going to trust that he can at least, you know, get, a, get the swing right, you know, for some of the scenes we need to do. We don't care where the ball goes. We just want the swing to be right. And uh, we can make right. the ball go down the middle. Uh, so COVID happens, as I mentioned in my earlier story, and, and we're shut down for a complete year. So we come back mm. the next year, and I'm, I'm making sure everybody's available to do the role. And, and so I call Christian, and, and actually I called Dale first. I called the pro, and I said, so uh, you know, I know you were working with Christian last year. How's he doing? And he just chuckles. He just says, Rick, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> he says, not only have I had four or five weeks, I've had a year and four or five weeks to work with him. And uh, so when you see him on the tee box, uh, and what he does is he has this match that he plays against Paul, and uh, you know, and it's uh, they have this little you know back and forth kind of a, a jive with each other, and then you know he hits first, and Christian hits the ball, uh, and and just it's a powerful swing, and it's just you know, and it just takes your breath away. I mean, it's it's really phenomenal, 
And uh, and here's a kid mm-hmm. that a year you know a year and six months weeks ago had never played the game, but uh, never played. You know, wow. One of the one of the good things about COVID is you know we made a golfer out of him. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. that was well, a fun uh, yeah. scene. It's always fun to see him swing that shot. That's that's like a mulligan in itself. I mean, wow, that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Absolutely. Um, so so I want to ask you. Um, Again, obviously, both of you, I'd love for you to, to answer and respond to this. But, uh, Pat, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, who do you think's going to like this movie? Obviously, when they, at first glance, they see the mulligan, they see the golf club, and uh, right away they think, okay, this is another golf story. But obviously, as we know, there's much more yeah. to it. Um, who do you think yeah. is primarily going to, um, obviously, golfers are going to like it, but who do you think is primarily uh, going to like this movie? And how do you think you'll be able to resonate with people that don't golf, how are you going to resonate with them? Do you think to get to get them to go to to see this movie? Well, the good thing about this is that millions of people love golf, but there have been precious mm-hmm. few films, good films about golf. And of course, you know that Rick produced the uh, Jim Caviezel film Bobby Jones. Yes, uh, and it's been mm-hmm. seen on on the Golf Channel a lot, and the Golf Channel. Uh, you know, we'll keep showing Bagger Vance and and the other uh, Tin Cup and those films. Uh, and so you see them, and, and golfers love them. They'll watch it more than once or several times. But I think young right. adults who are going through family crises, and, boy, there's plenty of them now in this world and, and this, with the COVID yes. and the economy and, and uncertainties, whether it's uh, – violence in the streets whether it's uh mm-hmm. collapse of uh other nations and stuff that we we'd like to keep our kids from knowing about <clears throat> but we can't shield mm-hmm. them that that there's going to be a, a gnawing and a desire for for some sort of an anchor or some some way to to have the assurance that life was good that people were good basically that uh, the, and that we could look forward. People usually were optimistic about their future, but now we, <laughs> the polls show that the majority of people are nowhere near as optimistic about what the future may hold for their kids and for the mm-hmm. our nation as they used to be. It used to be just a given. Oh yeah, we're always going right. to come through it. Whatever problems we have, it's going to be fine. We'll work it out. You know, it, the, whatever bad things may be happening, you know, they'll pass. No, uh, now we're <laughs> starting to realize that unless either God intervenes or we somehow as mm-hmm. a people, which is not likely, judging from human history, that people mm-hmm. are going to just suddenly start to be better people <clears throat> without any faith. Uh, and that faith can be that glue that holds families together and even repairs families and marriages and relationships um, that that there there can be hope, and I think people are looking for for that now, particularly this, the, these are uncertain times, and with right. good reason, because a lot of things we believe would would never fail are they are failing and, mm-hmm. and so we've got to look somewhere for support and for assurance that maybe we can make it through not just alive but with our kids and our grandkids. Uh, having a, a reasonable hope for a future. So that's yeah, again, uh, that's well what said. I think 
the audience. I think that's the audience that's going to be attracted as they see the film clips or they, people tell them about it. Oh, you got to go see this film. It's going to make you feel good and give you hope for the future and, and for your family and for your marriage. That, 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 because these are real people in real situations mm-hmm. and they get real answers. Right. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Because the storyline about the, the main uh, character that Eric Close uh, plays here is, is so true to life. I mean, there are, I mean yeah. you don't have to be a big executive to fall into that pattern. There are so many, you know, everyday uh, folks out there that are going through the very same struggles, maybe on a different level in some respects. Mm-hmm but going through the yeah. same uh, struggles that, that he's, he's going through. You know. yep. He's basically Go a good enough guy, but what you find out as the film goes along was he did not have a good upbringing, his, no relationship with his father. His father actually mm-hmm. was teaching him to cut corners and to cheat if necessary uh, in golf and in life and in school. And, so, and, he, and he, he did not have a close relationship or respect for his father. Now, many people in today's world uh, do not have the uh, the kind of love and the desire to be like their parents or like their dads uh, as it used mm-hmm. to be, because dads <laughs> in today's world make plenty of mistakes, and they need yeah. elegance, but they don't know that they can get them, and they're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, goodness, Larry Elder and and so many point out that the reason there are so many black people in prison is because so many of those those people in prison did not have a father at home. Right. They were they were right. raised by by supportive uh, fathers. The fathers were missing, or they were not good fathers, and they their, their grandmothers took over in many cases, and uh, they just mm-hmm. didn't have the teaching or the example <clears throat> or the support uh, of of good religious. Uh, honest, hardworking, and loving so fathers. So this guy that Paul, that Eric Close plays, Paul McAllister, is really a decent guy. He's becoming very mm-hmm. successful financially, and, uh, and, and his workers all have confidence in him because they're building a very successful company. They're going to benefit from that. What they don't know is that his personal inner life is crumbling. <laughs> And a lot right. of people can identify with that. Well, and we see that playing out in the media all the time too, with with uh, you know a lot of the celebrities. And that you know, it all looks uh, smoke and mirrors, as they say in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and but behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on, and sometimes it'll eventually you know rear its ugly head. But uh, no, I think this is a great message and a great story, and I think you could not have asked uh, Rick for a, a more perfect time for a movie right. like this to come out. Would you agree? Right. right. I, I think so. I think we, we need, I think it's, 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 we wanted to make sure that there was a level of, of entertainment and comedy and, and, and at the mm. same time, hope and, and, and inspiration uh, that, uh, that there is, you know, there is hope. I mean, we, we all are going to make mistakes and guess what? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there, we, we do get a mulligan. Uh, and I, I think for you, know, I, I can tell you we were talking about casting earlier, uh, you know, and we did. We looked at multiple people for a lot of roles, but uh, I, I was with my director uh, Michael Seibel, who 
he and I produced a movie called The Ultimate Gift um, a few years ago with James Gardner and Brian Dennehy and Abigail Breslin. And uh, we've had a lot of success with great cast. And uh, as we started to look at it, I said, uh, I think there's one person uh, that we need to go out to for the old pro. And, and, and at the time, you know, well, I, I, you know, Michael says, well, I think, you know, I think that's good. We sh- shouldn't we just audition people like we're doing everybody else and look around a little bit. I had one guy on my list and we're talking to him tonight. <laughs> and uh, he was the Gene Saracen, the, yeah, I said, here's the mm-hmm. consummate old pro. And uh, I, I tell you, Pat brought it every day. He, uh, he kept mm-hmm. us all on our toes. Uh, he, he had the energy and, uh, you know, that stuff that he sells on TV works because he's got the energy to do it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it yeah. he, uh, and he brought it, it every day. I, he really did. I, and, uh, so it was a, it was a lot of fun to work with him. <laughs> let me ask, let me ask you. A, uh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Pat. No, go ahead. I was just saying that that uh, it, it I didn't realize it till I saw the film that a dream, a boyhood dream of mine, was coming true. God is so terrific in the way mm-hmm. He works these things out in your life. I was a big Bing Crosby fan, and mm-hmm. and I wanted I loved Bing his ease, his naturalness the way he sang, when he acted. And, you know, when he did uh, these great movies that he won Academy Awards for, nominations and awards for The Bells of St. Mary and Mm -hmm. uh, Going My Way, these great films where he was this lovable priest, a very uh, worldly, wise person, but also gentle Mm -hmm. and loving and knowing. And I just love Bing Crosby. Now I see myself in this film and I realize God gave me a chance to be a Bing Crosby in this place <laughs> because mm-hmm, I get great. to be that kind of guy. And, and I, and I like that guy that I am in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we need more of that in today's world as, as I think we would all agree. Mm-hmm. I think we need, uh, you know, I, I remember growing up, there were, there were people who were obviously much wiser than me that I looked up to. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that because of so many other outside influences um, affecting and, and exposed, uh, exposing the children to, uh, this is why you're seeing such a disconnect in family. So, um, you know, this, again, this movie really resonates um, in, in so many ways to what's going on in real life. And I have to go back because Rick mentioned something since he, I, I didn't want to say this because um, I didn't want to talk about other things now, but. Pat, obviously, I see you all the time on TV with these commercials, and the one particularly yeah. that he was referring to, um, you actually mentioned. I mean, you're always working on something, but you met, you made the, the mm-hmm. mention in there that uh, about a, a currently about a movie. Was this the movie that you were referring to, or was there some other project? Yes, no, no, that was it. I have recently been in uh, two or three other films. One is not out yet, and I'm not allowed to right. talk about it. It's a much right, that's bigger fine. budget film. About, about a former president that I knew well. Uh, it's uh, then another film that I invested in myself. It's on Amazon Prime right now called Miracle in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And I play old Doc Woods. And it's like a turn of the century oh. Western, a Christian Western. And it's out there on uh, Amazon Prime, but nobody knows about it. <laughs> and, but I was also in God's Not Dead too, And that those, those two mm-hmm. films were very successful. <laughs> and again... Yes. I play an old granddad, play an old granddad in both of them. And uh, and I think the casting director out here in Hollywood 
has sent the word around that if you need somebody to play an 80-year-old who can still remember his lines, get Pat Boone. <laughs> well, you do, you do that very well. And I've got I to gotta ask you the, 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 the obvious question, Pat, um, and I'd be remiss if I don't. Um, if you ever want to know that proof that life is not fair, um, you just have to look at how good-looking you are at this age. How do you do it? I mean, it, life is not fair. How is it that you're able to be so good-looking at your age and the rest of us are sitting well, scratching our head figuring, I, what is this? <laughs> Go I ahead, Rick. Don't know who you're, I don't, honestly don't know who you're talking about because I look in the mirror and I don't recognize myself. I'm always signing pictures from years ago that people send me and want me to autograph. So I'm constantly looking at the way I used to look, and I honestly right. don't know how so many people recognize me today because I don't look like I you know, used to look, and, and yet people still know me when they see me, and I, I don't get it, but, but at least I'm healthy. I do... I've always stayed healthy mm-hmm. as an athlete. I uh, play play tennis still, singles tennis. We played golf, mm-hmm. Rick yep. and I, yesterday, 18 holes, and we couldn't we couldn't put the cards out on the golf course. We had to walk wherever we hit the ball. We had to walk to them and hit them again. Wow. And we played 18 holes in a course very much like the Masters course. And uh, mm-hmm. I was tired, and I'm tired today. But I did walk 18 holes. And uh, not every shot was great, but I hit some shots that made me feel good. <laughs> and and Rick, by the way, is a very good golfer, and he hit some he hit some power shots. But uh, but it was just great to be able to do that. And because I've kept doing it, and because I work out in the gym, and I do take things like relief factor and nature's balance, mm-hmm. uh, the fruits and the vegetables. I mean, I've been diet conscious health conscious mm-hmm. my whole life and I'm grateful that God has given me a healthy body and, and, and some awareness of how to stay healthy. So I've got six weeks, about six weeks left in my 88th year. Uh, wow. I turned 88 in June and I will have lived 88 years. And so here I am still playing single tennis, golf and uh, working out at the gym and swimming. So if, if there's any secret to, to looking younger than people know you are, I think it's to, to stay active athletically. Yeah, it's not an easy answer. I, I, you got to work at it. You got to work at it. Yeah, <laughs> but it, yeah, that's but it, true. But, but, it, but it, I think it helps when you start start off like like yeah. the fat boon that we knew thirty years ago, uh, forty yeah. years ago. You're right. It, uh, yeah, it, you you got something you want to preserve, <laughs> and I think you've done yeah. it well. Yeah, I, you really have. I was always well, athletic, well, yeah. Well, Pat, if there was ever proof that, that there is a God, you're certainly a living proof of it because, uh, yeah, you were, you were definitely blessed not only as a youngster but all throughout your career. And, and you know, you, jokingly you said, you know, uh, you don't know how people recognize, uh, you know, and you look at yourself now as, as opposed to then. Uh, but the truth of the matter is you're recognizable because of not so much on the outside, but what's on the inside of you. I mean, you've always been, throughout your whole career, you've been just an honorable person. You've done so many great projects over the years, and people recognize that. And, you know, you have this big, bright smile. Your eyes, you know, are the windows to your soul. And so it's very easy. Um, to, to us, you will always look like that young Pat Boone. Um, but <laughs> just, you know, but uh, well, that's what we remember fondly. 
But no, you're you're a wonderful person, and I can't think. Of, as I said to Rick a little earlier on, I couldn't think of a better person to play the role that you did um, in this movie because it, it's something that again we need um, in today's society with everything that's going on, and I think it's going to be a, a great success. And I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we can do everything that we can in the golf industry to push it out, not so much just in the industry, but outside of the industry to let the the uh, the folks that don't play golf yet, we're working on them, but yeah. um, to, yeah, to get yeah. them out and see this movie as well. So, Rick, I'm going to give you any final thoughts, uh, and then Pat as well. I'll let you go first. Uh, any final thoughts as we get ready to, to wrap up? Yeah, I would just encourage people to uh, to to see the film, uh, you know, for for all the things that are there, uh, and and maybe take someone that uh, uh, take them to somebody with them. They can go have some coffee after and talk about because there's there's a lot of a lot of things here that uh, they'll laugh about, they'll cry about, but they'll see themselves in too, and so it's introspective in many ways. And so we really do hope that uh, folks will go and bring people with them. We're we're getting. Uh, uh, sellouts of theaters across America. I just heard today the number mm. was around 200 theaters that are sold out. So uh, wow. the one thing I'd say is you could uh, get your, your tickets right now by just going to the mulliganmovie.com, uh, put in your zip code, you know, uh, wherever you live, and immediately will come up uh, all the theaters around you. So uh, you, can, you can then reserve your seat and, and pick up your tickets and we're encouraging people to do that because uh, we, we really, it's, a, it's an event-oriented movie, two days only, the 18th and 19th of April. That's right after Easter, which is easy to remember. You have Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. and then you've got Monday, Tuesday, the mulligan. And, uh, and so we encourage people to do that and to, to make it an event. Bring your family. It's a family film that you don't have to be embarrassed about what might get said or, or they might see on screen. Uh, it's for all ages, and, and it's something that, uh, I think that everyone would enjoy together. I couldn't agree more. And again, they can go to mulliganmovie.com, uh, a popular book based uh, from or from Wally Armstrong and Ken Blanchard were the uh, authors of this particular uh, book. And of course, now it's uh, in a movie form. And uh, we want uh, the folks to uh, go to the theaters. Uh, it begins on uh, Monday, April the 18th and or Tuesday, uh, 19 at select theaters, and obviously it's uh, it's expanding very quickly. But if you want more information, uh, again, you can go to themulliganmovie.com. And unfortunately, Rick, it looks like we lost Pat. I think he must have either had to go or somehow got uh, disconnected. So, uh, But uh, please please uh, extend my best. I'm sorry I didn't get to say it personally. I, I don't know whether he's had to go or, or what have you, but uh, we've lost him. But I want to thank both of you, so please extend that thank you to him as well. Uh, for coming on we'll this evening and sharing with my audience. And, Absolutely. And I will certainly do as much as I can to promote this movie because uh, it is well worth seeing for so many reasons, even if you're not a golfer. But, Rick, uh, God bless you as well. Thank you very much for what you do. Continue the great work, and um, thank you for sharing time with my audience tonight. And the movie, again, I, is The Mulligan. I, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to do that and create some, some awareness around the country. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Rick. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was uh, uh, Rick Eldridge and, of course, the legendary Pat Boone. Uh, regrettably, it looks like either Pat had to go or uh, somehow got disconnected, so he wasn't able to, uh, to wrap up with us. But I uh, want to thank both of them. And it looks like, actually, he's jumping back on, so let me bring him on. Yeah, Hi, Pat. You know How are you? <laughs> you know what no. happened? My phone went dead. 
I just pl- I didn't Uh-oh. hang up on you. My phone went dead, and I had to go running around and get another phone uh, to try to say goodbye. <laughs> Well, well, I'm glad you did. Uh, Rick has already gone. Uh, we weren't sure if you were having some technical issues or if you had to, to go. I know you have other things that you've got to do. But, so I'm going to give you the last word and let you, uh, any final thoughts. So we, we've uh, plugged the movie again in that, but any final thoughts you want to share with the audience uh, regarding the mulligan? Well, I'm going to quote a scripture. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people have put a lot of money into making a movie that will help families at a time when we need help. And uh, and it's one thing to to, to sit back and complain, uh, but, but it's something better to say, wait a minute, somebody's done something that will benefit me and my family and my friends and my neighbors, and I hear it's really good, and I'm going to go support it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to tell these people I appreciate them making a film that will, might be very good for my kids to see, will help them, and my neighbors who may have, be having difficulties that this film would help them uh, face. And so I'm just saying obey <laughs> the scriptural directive. This is good, so do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Go to the film mm-hmm. and bring some other people, and let's encourage. let's get encouragement to make more films like the ones that made Hollywood the great force that it is uh, and it's not so good for us now but it used to be all family mm-hmm. entertainment you know when, yep. when i was growing up we our family would go to a movie once a week and it was a precious time and we always mm-hmm. came home feeling good about being human beings not depressed and not embarrassed and yeah not fearful mm-hmm. uh we felt good the films uplifted us and this one does that yep. it I does could- it so take advantage of it that's what we exactly what we needed. Again, the movie is called The Mulligan, uh, and it's available uh, coming available to uh, select theaters April 18th and 19th. And you can go to themulliganmovie.com to get more information. And you can also find uh, great promotion in Golf Tips Magazine, which is my magazine. Uh, you'll see a full page uh-huh. ad there uh, for it. And there's a QR code at the bottom of the page that you can actually scan on your phone and, and get more information. But Pat, thank you very, very much for giving so much of your time. Uh, and thank, listen, you for, thank you uh, for... Thank you for... It's my pleasure. Not a problem. And, and I hope there's going to be a mulligan too coming down the pike. Uh, we'll see. But uh, that would be uh, well, great. Won't, cause, it won't uh, be we with need... the old pro though. <laughs> I hope so too. But, but the old pro, well, you'll see when you see the film, the old uh, pro has I gone know. to his uh, yep. uh, eternal reward. I got you. I got well, you. Okay, then. Pat, Pat thank you, you very guys. much. and You too. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was Pat Boone, uh, movie star uh, and uh, one of the stars in the upcoming Mulligan, uh, A Parable of Second Chances. Again, uh, you can go to themulliganmovie.com and uh, you can get more information there of the times and places and so forth. And I uh, b- believe you can get... Uh, some advanced tickets as well. So make sure you do that. And as Rick had pointed out, uh, the latest word is uh, 200 uh, uh, theaters around uh, the United States have already been sold out, so it's going to be a popular movie. All right, a special thanks as well to Pete Buchanan and James Kyle for joining me on Coach's Corner Panel. This has been another episode of Golf Talk Live. I hope you'll join me next week for another great uh, show and another insightful guest interview. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. 
Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.